In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Oh, he has trouble with the spin. Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart, and they never quit. The doctor is now in. And a happy Thursday to you. T.C. Martin, ballpark Frank with you. Numchuck on the other side of the glass. Oh, yes, a thunderous Thursday edition right here for you. And I want to remind you, uh, tomorrow we take a little break from sports and we are going to be doing the T.C. Martin Song Fest music show, two hours tomorrow, nonstop rock, funk, pop, never know what else you might get. And uh, yes, we will be doing some of our musical favorites, myself, Ballpark Frank, and our guests, that's right, our regular guests chiming in, requesting their favorite songs, and they'll be appearing as well, too. So we're going to have about probably 12 or 13 DJs tomorrow during this time slot tomorrow, 2 to 4. And uh, and the reason why we're doing this, we, we kind of toyed with the idea a couple weeks ago that we said, hey, as much as we talk about music and we love music and we incorporate music into the show, that let's do an all-music show one day. And uh, tomorrow is that day that we get a chance to do it. Reached out to many of our guests and said, who wants to participate? And it uh, was wildfire. They said, I'm down. We're doing it. So you'll hear from a lot of our regulars, whether it's from the basketball world, baseball, uh, football. A lot of our regular guests will be participating tomorrow, giving their favorite songs, what it means to them. And uh, they get a chance to introduce those songs as well, too. So tomorrow, music day. So if you tune in at 2 o'clock and you're hearing some funky sounds or some classic rock sounds or any type of genre of music, Who knows? be prepared. You said it took off like wildfire. Wildfire could be one of the songs, although I hope it's not because <laughs> I think that's a really sappy, weak song. Wildfire. There's another one. Wasn't that a, about a horse or something? It was. Absolutely. Very nice. Another <laughs> 70s reference. And if you listen I prefer to, a horse with no name yeah, instead of wildfire. America. There you go. We can do this all day. <laughs> and if you listen to our interview with Steve Sachs, which is up on the website at tcmartinshow.com, uh, there are plenty of those uh, sappy 70s references that uh, we'll see if some of those songs... Make the cut tomorrow. Why do I hope they don't? <laughs> none, none of them were on my list of things that I had to choose which which ones I was going to get in. And th- th- that wasn't part of the problem putting the DeFranco family or something like that in there as, a, as one of the choices. Right. And now I know that uh, you have really been, I don't want to say the word struggling. I'll let you speak for yourself here. But you've really been, oh, he brought a list here today, ladies and gentlemen. He brought, <laughs> so here's the thing. We have a two-hour show, and if you do the math, the average song is, you know, probably four minutes long. You know, there's some shorties in there as well, too. But then again, you could have a, a couple long ones. So we'll try to get to the the original versions tomorrow. And again, the whole idea is to play songs that resonate with us and our guests as well, too. And so when I started doing the math, like how much time do we have for uh, actual songs during two to four tomorrow? 
I, and and I, intros I'm, and stuff like that yeah, thrown in yeah. there from the people. So I'm, I don't know. It's uh, I don't know what the number is. Maybe you know, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen songs. But uh, I got a feeling we might not make that. And then Frank brings a list of sixty in here. Yes, I do have 60 songs in here. I had other ones, too, but I was trying to break them down. And so I thought, well, to be fair, to, I'm going to try to pick songs that aren't like seven or eight minutes long songs because yeah. a lot of those have more. Because I'm a big lyric guy. Yeah. I mean, lyrics mean a lot to me. So, you know, some people like just a beat that they can sing along with or this or that or go out in the dance floor, too, and get your groove on in that. I, I, I am into lyrics because I used to write poetry and songs and things mm-hmm. like that. I can't write music, though, so the music was always in my head. But, yeah. but yeah, so uh, so it was very, very difficult. This is one of the most difficult things I ever had to do, <laughs> cutting this down to three or four songs. And, and, and here's the problem, and I don't want you to get mad. This is what I was trying to tell you yesterday and last night, too. It's like, okay, I, I appreciate you putting the effort in. I mean, it's great because both of us are, are music guys, and literally we probably have, I'm being conservative, a hundred, 150 like, go-to songs and no thousands of songs. So to pick just a few is it's, it's virtually impossible. So for me, I'm just going to go with, okay, you know, what, uh, what fits the mood for a Friday afternoon with this show, our personalities, our guests, and that sort of thing. So I love ballads. I do love some mellow songs. But for the most part, we're going to try to keep it as much up-tempo as we can. And I'm very tempted to, to throw a couple little slower songs in there. Not, you know, not the ballads that you'd get on the dance floor with and you want to you know, bump and grind to. I'm not talking about that. But, you know, it just some, some maybe some easier tempo songs. But then again, you know, there's so many different ways we could go. So I kind of feel bad because we kind of created a monster by inviting the guests, but I thought the guests really would add to it. People would love to hear what some of the favorite songs are from our our guests who are superstars in their world as former players, current players, broadcasters, and all that sort of thing. And we're going to hit you know from from a lot of different uh, people like we always do with the show, depending on the season. But uh, I got a feeling that you better take that list and either get out the the scissors or the shredder and cut it down to maybe that's an eight and a half and 11. And it's filled with two sides. I think you better cut it down to maybe an eighth by a quarter of an inch. Well, I, I've already got it narrowed down to it because you said the no ballad yeah. thing. So some, a lot of those are out. Like I say, I had a lot of them that are longer songs in that. So I kind of limited some of those, you know, like a song like free bird, right. not going to make it or something like that. And I get it, and that makes sense. And then I actually tried to, I even tried to censor myself a little bit and take some, well, I don't want to play even like maybe a five or six minute song if I can get a good one that's right. three or four. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I've edited it down a little bit myself in that. So I was even telling Numchuck today that one of the songs I have, there's different versions on the internet. and. Yeah. One is 30 seconds longer than the other one. So I said, go to this one here that's off the album cut. Right, it. So, right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to make this as concise and as professional as I can. But you also threw in that it has to be songs that have meaning to us. So each Would one like of the that. songs yes. that I picked, yes. it does have, yes. you know. But, I mean, there's so many other ones that I could have taken. Yeah. And here's the thing, too. Like Freebird. We could play Freebird, but we're just going to fade it out probably after three and a half minutes. So if you've got a song that's 538 or whatever, I mean, we may... You know, you know, not play all the songs too because we've got to get to so many, 
And right, but, and, but and, and we'll probably be talking a little bit about the songs as well too. So, but, but as we, a listener, if I'm hearing Freebird and I hear somebody cut it out, I'm changing the channel, and I don't yeah. want people to do that on our show. Right. You know. And then there's songs that I figure a lot of people probably don't know that I would have loved to throw in there, but you know, and and I didn't necessarily like. There's a song by the Jim Carroll band called "People Who Died." Phenomenal song. Yeah. Absolutely crushes it. But it will not be on my list tomorrow because I didn't think it did fit the mood in there. There you go. But it's a phenomenal. If you're on YouTube, check out People Who Died. Great song. So I'm not going to tell you who it is with a guest because I want want the guests uh, really to... To shine. To shine. It's their moment. Exactly. That's why Johnny Carson was the best talk show host because he knew that they were the star. He didn't try to be the star and get over them. So for tomorrow, again, they're going to get their their one-minute appearance. It won't be interview style or whatever, but I know they're going to want to get carried away because they they want to talk about what the song means to them. And again, I asked them the same thing. Like I, I put the parameters on you and I. It's like, okay, g- give me your, like, kind of your go-to song that really, you know, gets you going, that has some uh, some personal meaning to you. And it, it's funny that one of our guests, actually, I, I thought of you here. And I'll uh, go, go back to the text and um, won't say who it is here, but uh, said that, uh, yeah, I've got, uh, you know, I'm really, really a ballad guy, but I don't think the ballads would, would, would fit the mood, uh, you know, for your show. Uh, you know, we'll keep it entertaining. And he goes, I could have gone with Death on Two Legs by Queen. He goes, but that's too much raw hatred. And I said, well, there's Frank. <laughs> Oh, that is a phenomenal song. It is, right? You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you want songs that are just basically F you, you are a piece of garbage song, <laughs> Positively Forced by Bob Dylan, Death on Two Legs, Apocalyptica, I Don't Care. Anytime that a song lyric says, if you live or if you die, I don't care, I don't care, that kind of tells you what he thinks about you right there. <laughs> so there are definitely songs like that. Another one that I didn't take because it's too long is a song like November Rain. That song would take up, take up a whole segment. Yeah. But it's a phenomenal song. Sure, yeah. And again, it's not really the best of the best. It doesn't have to be your best. Because obviously, like with mine, it's not going to be my ultimate best. It's just going to be ones that I really like, have some meaning, fit what we're doing, have a fun time yesterday. And I appreciate you not going to the dark side. And our guests are doing the same thing, really not going to the dark side. So, Well, for the most part, yeah. I'm not. There might be one in there yeah. if I get multiple songs. Yeah. And by the way, one of the reasons that November Rain would resonate with me, because when I had the chance to interview um, Slash years ago, mm-hmm. November Rain was still popular. And I asked him about that. And I said, well, you, when you guys recorded that, net, you know, I mean, it's the number one video out right now. And he said, yeah, that was a really weird day because I watched my best friend because him and Axel were still very close back then. He said, yeah, shooting that video, I watched Axel get married like 26 times that day or whatever <laughs> from the takes and the retakes and that. And I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of cool, yeah. <laughs> but kind of weird at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's tomorrow, uh, 2 to 4. You'll, it's a music fest. It is the T.C. Martin Show Song Fest. We'll have uh, some great fun with that, uh, picking out some of our favorite songs and our guests that will be chiming in as well, too. So uh, we'll just leave it at that. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. And again, uh, giving everybody kind of a heads up. So if you tune in tomorrow and you hear some music, uh, you're on the right, the right show. So don't worry about that. And it'll, it'll be fun. Looking forward to it. I know you stayed up late last night and watched some TV, didn't you? Well, yeah, I was watching the baseball game between the uh, Dodgers and the Padres. It went into the softball rules. Yep. And uh, it's it's interesting because of all the extra innings that went, and I know when they got into the 14th, they said this is now the longest game since 
since they implemented uh, the software rules of putting the runner on second base, I believe that that started in 2020. And so they said it was already up to there. And But, you know, the thing that I was watching, especially with the Padres, because they kept on just walking the bases loaded to get to the pitcher spot again because the Padres has used all their bench players. They had no... You know, no extra hitters. They couldn't put in a pinch hitter that wasn't a pitcher. So the Dodgers were like, fine, well, this guy got a hit. We'll walk two, and then we'll get the pitcher out here. So it was interesting from the managerial spot. But only one time did they start off an inning even trying to bunt a guy over to third base to start an inning, and that was the Padres, I believe, in the 12th. And they popped it up and went to third, so it didn't happen anyhow. There was a couple ground balls that sent a runner over to third, but they could never get around and score him in. And then finally in the 15th, when we saw the the Dodgers get two runs and you thought it was over, then Tatis hits a two-run homer and we're going to extras again anyhow. But uh, it, it was crazy, but the lack of execution. And you know how the stat that they always love to use, batting with runners in scoring position. Well, there was a runner in scoring position every inning <laughs> right. once they got into the extras. So, you know, they were all for this. The Dodgers actually did have a hit, but it was such a hard single that they held the runner at third earlier on, and I believe it was the 14th or 15th. So this was a very strange game, and it was unique uh, in many ways. First of all, this was a game that was one-to-one at the end of nine innings, and then we go to softball rules and put in the runner on second. Highly unusual in the sense where you had zeros across the board in every half inning. Nothing in the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th. And you mentioned the two runs in the 15th by the Dodgers, two runs in the bottom of the 15th by the Padres. So here we go again. And then the A.J. Pollock homer, the two-run shot in the top of the 16th, giving the Dodgers a 5-3 win. You never see that many zeros in extra frames with these rules. Like you said, when the go-ahead run or the winning run is at second base. And you know who this was torture for? Think about this. Chris Basio. No, it was, <laughs> it, it, it was torture for the betters last night. Because this game was one-to-one. And you think you're stone-cold lock if you got the under. Final score, 5-3. Guess what the total miss was? Eight. So you think you got a winner, and you've got to sit through five hours and 49 minutes only to say, I pushed. Well, and, and I'm not sure who the favorite was, but if the Dodgers were the favorite. Dodgers were the favorite, So yeah. the two-run homer would have also put him over the run line. Correct, Amundo. You right. know, so that was right. interesting. And Snell pitched a great game, but he made the one mistake, and that was when he gave up the right. home run. That's why we went into the extras. Now, with the run line, as the visiting team, you, you're always still alive. You just think, I, I might as well tear up my ticket when I'm the home team and I'm giving up a run and a half. And it's very rare that the visiting team is usually a favorite, a heavy enough yeah. favorite, where they are laying the run and a half. So I know I've been through that situation where I'll be more inclined to play the run line on a visiting team because I want to have those guaranteed at least nine at-bats. And then if it does go extras, and I ran to that last week when the Royals, uh, rather the Astros beat the, the Royals. It was 3-3 at the end of nine. And then the Astros got three and six three, and they covered the run line. Not that I'm a big run line guy, but a lot of people right. are. So right. you're right that that covered that. Yeah, and, and if you take the home team in that situation and you have the run line, then you're counting on a multi-run home run because that's the only that, thing that you that's can the get. Only, exactly. Anything that's yeah. not out of the park, you're done. Doesn't get you to win. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so run line betters got home, but think about that. 
You bet the under in this game. You are feeling great about yourself. It's 1-1. We're going to the ninth. Somebody win it. 2-1, fine. Tie it up. 2-2. 3-2's fine. Tie it up. 3-3. 4-3's fine, right? No problem. No. It gets it gets to to 3-3, and then the Dodgers hit the two-run homer in the 16th. 5-3. You end up pushing. In that game, like I mentioned, five hours, 49 minutes. You mentioned longest uh, game of the year. If I am sitting through this game on a betting ticket, and it's like a push or kissing your sister, or whatever you want to say, I'm pretty upset. Going 1-1, I thought it was done. You know what that uh, makes me, uh, reminds me of is when we go to the college football, and you bet under in college football, and again, just because you go to OT, it's not sudden death. It's like, okay, 7-7, seven, seven, okay, 7-7, seven, seven, I'll go to third overtime. Now we've got to go for two, right? 8-8 eight, eight, or 6-6. Six, six. It keeps going. We've seen these, these games that end up like, you know, in the 70s. As far as like somebody wins, you know, 72 to 70, 140 points are scored, and you go and you bet the under of like 69 and a half. Too bad you lose. Yeah, and, and again, like, like imagine, now I know it was a late game because it ended well after midnight because they were saying, oh, it's 3 a.m. on the East Coast. 12.59 a.m. Yeah. It's so, Pacific, yeah. But, but again, I'm watching that game, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's late at night, so there's probably not a lot of this going on. But how was in-game wagering? When the Dodgers took that two-run lead, you had to think that they became a huge favorite. Now they ended up winning anyhow, so if you bet them at that point. But, I mean, the back and forth and the ebbs and flows of that, you know, every in- you know the, the Padres come up in one of the innings and they, they get the guy over to third and Tatis is up and they're like, okay, there's a man on third, one out. So, you know, the Padres are probably a decent favorite at that time. But Tatis before he hit that home run, was 0 for 6 with four strikeouts. So he was not having a good night at all. But, um, yeah, it was an interesting game. It was a fun game to watch. It was very strange. But also the kid that lost the game for the Padres, he came in, he gave up the two runs, so he looked like he was going to lose it. Then Tatis hits the home run. When the Padres were up to bat in that inning, the pitcher spot came up and they actually let him swing the bat. Right. To keep him in the game, mm-hmm. he struck out. Then he goes back on the mound, and then he gives up a two-run homer. So in, in the two innings that he pitched, he gave up four runs. <laughs> you know, and uh, also, the, you, you had a, an intentional balk in this game, too, by Corey yes. Knable, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was right before the Tatis home run because they wanted to just get back. At least they were speculating this in, in the announcer's booth that they wanted to get back to the normal sets of signs from the pitcher and the catcher because they were afraid of signs being stolen. He actually tried to balk before. He dropped the ball out of his hand, and the home plate um said, no, it wasn't a balk because I called time. And he was like, so then he did the fake third to first thing. He's like, no, I want to balk him over there so he's not back there. So he actually balked twice in a row. Right. And when have you ever seen that? I can't recall an intentional balk. We know all about intentional walks. But intentional box, that's what happened. Corey Knable for the Dodgers in that game. Well, in the, in the booth, they were freaking out wondering what was going on. Because the second time he did it, they like, what's going on in it? it? It's almost like he intentionally balked. And he's like, no, it's not almost like he did intentionally balk. He's like, forget about him being on second. We just, you know, Tatis has struck out four times. He's not having a good game. Let's get him over to the third. You know, so many times you have, you know, on a Thursday, you've got the, it's usually getaway day for a lot of these teams. So you have the day game after a night game. Well, luckily for the Dodgers and the Padres, they do play again today, but they play 
uh, a night game. It, it is moved up a little bit earlier. The Padres and Dodgers both do this like six ten starts instead of like the traditional you know you know seven ten or seven fifteen start. So can you imagine if this was a day game today? What kind of lineup are you going to put out there? Your bullpen shot. You just got done playing sixteen innings of intense baseball. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, what Jace Tingler and Dave Roberts, the lineups that they put out tonight. Because even though these guys didn't get to bed till probably 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, at least they are playing pretty much, you know, a early evening game. But it's still, you know, coming back after 16 innings is going to be brutal. And Max Shears is going to get the ball tonight in pitch. Uh, I know that, and you got the right guy if Dave Roberts will let this guy go ahead and pitch. I mean, Max can carry. He can go nine. He can go ten if he wants. But that bullpen is shot for both teams. Well, and it's funny, too, that you mentioned Scherzer because they were mentioning during the game because they showed one of the Padre hitters who had hit a grand slam off Scherzer earlier this year. And he was up. Now, obviously, Scherzer wasn't his. And they go, yeah, we're looking down in the bullpen, down on the dugout net, and don't see Scherzer there. And the other guy was kind of like, well, yeah, they probably sent him home already and said, look, you're oh, yeah. pitching tomorrow. You go, he wasn't there at 1 a.m. when this game ended. Correct. He was the one guy that got to go and go back to the hotel and just relax, grab a bite to eat or whatever, and get a good night's rest because, yeah, we know you're not pitching in this game. Get the hell out of here and get some rest because you're on the mound tomorrow. But like you said, if you have to have one guy to go tomorrow, that's the guy you'd want. Game ends at 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, five hours, 49 minutes, and 489 pitches later. 489 pitches in that 16-inning game last night. 5-3 the final. The Dodgers win in 16. Uh, crazy. 109 uh, at-bats between the two teams. Uh, the teams combined, you mentioned runners in scoring position, and we've seen this a lot this year. It just, it's, it's been poor. The batting averages are poor. I mean, if a team is, if their team average is, is 230 or 240, they're going, well, that's great. I mean, believe that. Believe me, that's what's 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 leading the leagues in in batting average. Uh, team batting average is ridiculous. Teams went combined seven for fifty-one with runners in scoring position. Unbelievable. Well, I know there was one point when they showed because obviously the runner starts on second base. Going into that inning, where both teams did score with the runner in scoring position, yeah. I think at that point. The Dodgers were one for nineteen, and the Padres were one for eighteen, or something like that, with the runners in scoring position. So they were, uh, so yeah, they obviously, you know, the, the two run homers by Tatis, and then the Dodgers, and that that actually, the, those last couple innings actually made those numbers higher because before that they were even more horrendous. I think the only two starting pitchers for tonight's game are the only guys that weren't weren't used in the game last night. Forty seven players involved in the game last well, night. Well, and like I say, with the Padres, they didn't even they didn't even have any bench players to pinch hit, so right. the relief pitchers had to go up exactly. to the plate and bat. Right. And almost every time they came up, the bases were loaded because the, the Dodgers said, okay, that guy got it. Okay, pitcher's coming up in two more spots. Two, two straight walks. Roberts would just go, walk him. Walk. No, give him the base. We don't care. And then these guys are up there like, okay, well, I can win the game here, but I don't know how to swing. No. <laughs> Baseball is a phenomenal game. It really is for so many elements i mean the skill the art of it and then again from a managerial standpoint uh the strategy again one to one you're going to to the ninth inning you're not thinking that this thing is going to go 16 innings and you're not thinking that uh you know it's going to end up you know five to three in this situation but that's baseball i mean one one usually it's a pretty quick pace game and it's a national league game as we know national league games play a lot quicker than american league games and then you end up playing nearly six hours crazy well i know it was funny because when it just passed over to midnight they said okay well now we're uh apparently we're playing a night day 
single header or something. Right. They mentioned something yeah. like that, and they said, hey, by the way, if you're still joining us on the East Coast here on Padre Radio Network, uh, it's 3 a.m., so <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for staying up and watching it. Yeah. Crazy game uh, last night. And uh, we talk about the extra inning games and the softball thing, and we talked about it when we were on the air yesterday uh, when we had Steve Sachs on, uh, that, the, that the Astros you know, got the victory over the Royals. Well, that was the first of six games yesterday. Think about it. Six games yesterday went extra innings. Six in one day. I can't ever recall that ever happening in one get in one day. Come on. That's a lot. It's certainly a lot. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I don't know if there's ever been prop bips up of how many games are going to go into extras no. or whatever. But uh, if, if they had one up there yesterday, I, I'm assuming it hit the over. Yeah. <laughs> Six in one day. And, again, in the – the the baseball day started very early yesterday, Wednesday, and then it ends at basically four o'clock in the morning East Coast time. And, and one, one of those here on the West Coast. And one of those games that did go to extras was the second game of a doubleheader. So they thought they're going to oh we're only going to play fourteen innings, and right. the second game went thirteen on its own. Well, that was the Cubs uh, Rockies game, which Steve Sachs mentioned. Uh, oh yeah, there'll be what uh, you know fourteen people you know at that doubleheader. Yep. Actually, they list. I looked at the attendance because obviously when we talked about it yesterday, uh, they listed twenty six thousand at Wrigley Field yesterday for that game, which. Could be. It could be know. at Wrigley Field. It but, could be at Wrigley Field. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the way the Cubs are playing and the Rockies, and if you look at the highlights, you look at video, didn't look like that many people were there. But don't they but, also count season tickets, even if the people don't show up, that remember, they're still part see, of the, you know, I mean, it's, you know, there's, there, there's creativity with numbers a lot. Okay, but here's what the rule has always been. Through okay, the turnstile. National League turnstiles. American League sold tickets. That's what it always is. Maybe that's changed over the years because I haven't looked at it as closely in recent years, but that was always the big difference between the AL and the NL. NL was, was whoever comes through, through the turnstiles, that was your official attendance. So, so but, the attendance yeah. and the strike zone was the big difference back in those yeah. days. Of the- <laughs> now, looking at this game, like highlights from this game, I know, you know later on in the 10th inning when it was 9-9. Nine to nine, I mean, there was no more than probably 300 people there, but... They put 26,000, so maybe at 7 o'clock, possibly. But no, I don't think so. But sounds, yeah, sounds a little high. Yeah. Sounds a little high. Yeah. But we've seen other organizations and other sports fabricate you know, attendance figures. We've seen that. We've seen that in college basketball quite a bit. Yeah, well, and, and you know, it, it's possible there were that many because, you know, in Chicago, most people haven't seen the Iowa Cubs before. Yeah. <laughs> Only through a cornfield. <laughs> All right. Uh, today on the show, we are going to visit with Scott Spritzer next hour as we talk some handicapping. We'll take a, a good look at week number three, which is the final week of the NFL preseason, and uh, look ahead to uh, the week one regular season. We'll talk about the quarterback battles. A lot of football on the show here today. And we come back, our good friend Trevor Maddich. That's right, the 15-time Emmy Award winner for his fantastic work with ESPN, the college football guru. Yeah, we're going to break it all down. we got opening college football weekend. We've got a handful of games. We'll preview that. We'll talk about the season with the maestro, as I like to call him, of college football, Trevor Maddich. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane. I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. Oh, it is time to rise and shout. We have not heard this one 
in quite some time. And I know it puts a smile on the face of our guest because he's part of the national championship team, the last one they had there. What am I talking about, the last one? The only one they had. Anchored that line at BYU back in the day and then went on to have a 12-year pro career as well. And uh, he's the broadcaster extraordinaire as we all watch him on ESPN for college football. He is Trevor Maddich, my man, the pride of Sacramento, the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame, and BYU. Go ahead, Trevor. Sing along. Oh, can I, can I hum? Yeah, you can do it, if man. I sing, if I sing, everybody will flock to the radio station hoping I'll come out and do a live show. Yeah. And that would block traffic, you know, so I don't want to do that. That would be better than the flock of seagulls, don't you think? No, flock of seagulls. That's going back to the day. There you name two of their songs. Four points if you can name two flock of seagulls songs. Oh, no. Off the top of my head, too? Uh, I can't. I can't off the top of my head. And it's funny because I have promoted Flock of Seagulls uh, back in the day. Uh, really, not really my genre, Trevor, but uh, uh, I, I can't. I know Numchuck probably could. Did you ever have your hair like them? Uh, no, <laughs> I did not. Yeah. All the time. I think that was, uh, I think that was the motivation for the movie There's Something About Mary. Yeah, there, there you go. Oh, I ran. There you go. I ran. PC. I ran. I remember. I remember. Space Age love song. Yeah, yeah. Wishing, wishing, wishing was another one. Wishing. You you promoted a flock of seagulls and Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Cool and the Gang, and others. You, you're a long-haired, tattooed, pierced (laughs) rock and roller. No, Trevor. I was always the 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 funky white boy, the old school R and beer. I mean, I was always yeah. the the R and B guy, but I like my classic rock as well too. Uh, I, I can cross over and go both ways. But again, as a concert promoter, you have to realize what sells, what's going to sell tickets. And I realized uh, when I started DJing at uh, at a club in Sacramento uh, back in the day, uh, the owner wanted it, the the new wave era was was big. And so we were doing the the R and B on one night, uh, the funk and you know all that kind of stuff. And then he says, "You know what?" He goes, "We got to get involved in this this new wave thing, uh, punk rock, whatever you want to call it." And let let's let's do one night of this. And I said, "That's really not my genre. I can't do it." But I threw myself into it. Next thing you know, I'm playing you know Pet Shop Boys, Flock of Seagulls. Uh, you know, the list kind of goes on and on. And next thing you know, I'm I'm DJing to, uh, you know, some some funk stars one night, and the next night I got uh, kids with uh, green and blue hair, and so, I loved it. There so you, you were basically promoting the pretty and pink and that kind of stuff, right? But to say that it's not your genre, you just proved that because you threw in the 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 punk rock with all that kind of garbage. <laughs> Trust me, the Dead Kennedys and that sort of stuff was not like Flock of Seagulls. Okay, I understand. But again, <laughs> you played played a little bit of that as well too. Yeah, you know, play some Dead you know, Kennedys. No, believe you- it or not. Yeah. You lost me at Pet Shop Boys. Oh, but classic. Yeah, at the same time, though, see, I saw the movie Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg and Jennifer Addison. It's actually one of my favorite movies. And the manager of the band, Steel Dragon, yes. in the movie. Yes. So now I'm picturing you like that guy. So everybody yeah. go see see Rockstar and look at that manager because that's T.C. Martin back in the day. Wow, that's strong. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, okay. yeah. No, talk about strong. You probably have like suitcases and trunks with with stickers from all over the world. Uh, I got a lot of po- got, got a lot of posters and leftover T-shirts uh, from those tours. Okay. Did, did you skateboard down story. to the venue? No, I did not skateboard <laughs> tell, to the venue. Tell us the story that you're most afraid might get out 
about your experiences as a, an R&B top-of-the-line promoter. That one story that you're most embarrassed about. Go. Most oh man, you're catching me off guard here. I, what what would I be most embarrassed about? Uh, oh, I don't know if there's an embarrassing story there, Trevor. Off the top of my head, I, I really don't. I mean, I could tell you, I could fill you up with stories and stories about how you know promoting these artists uh, after, like, say, in the late '90s and the early 2000s, and they still thought it was 1984, and they wanted to be treated like that. I could tell you with writers that would blow you away, where M&Ms had to be in their uh, in their dish in their trailer, but all of the like the red ones and the blue ones had to be taken out. They could only go with green ones. I could tell you that a private jet had to had to basically uh, land at a nearby airport. The artist had to be helicoptered in. This artist did not want to be seen by anyone, the crowd, anyone backstage. So we had to pipe and drape where the helicopter left this person off into their trailer, the dressing room, because it was an outdoor venue, and then more pipe and drape leading to the stage so that person could only be seen at that point in time. I got stories where at Arco Arena, uh, there was a group that we were promoting, and uh, they did not get paid that night because the IRS and the FBI came knocking on the door at the box office when it was time to pay them, and they did not get paid. And the manager of, the, of this group said, how'd you know we were here? And this guy just looked at him and said, there's this thing called advertising. <laughs> TC, you did a great job of putting about 12,000 people in this building. Thank you very much so we can collect your money because you haven't paid the IRS in the last two years. Those are the kind of stories I can give you, Trevor Maddich. Hey, that yeah, I love those stories. And I... <laughs> I love those stories from that era too, because back in the day, with got to, you know like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and then yeah. going to some of the rock, right? Yeah. Going to Led Zeppelin and going to you know all these all these folks. What you had back then was actual artists. You had groups that would sing largely their own songs or individuals. Some of them had writers too, and they had more talent and more passion than they had common sense. And they went out there and lived what they were trying to sing. And now it's so corporate. You still have singer-songwriters. You still have talent. But it seems like it's just a different thing. It's like, it's like football, man. When I first went to the Patriots back in the day, my rookie year, I went from BYU to the Patriots, and teammates were smoking cigarettes in the locker room at halftime. It was the wild, wild west. It was crazy. But then when the money got really big, everybody's getting their own nutritionists, personal trainers, managers, brand managers, everything else, and it's so tightly controlled. And I, I miss the days in music yeah. of the wild, crazy artists that just didn't care, and they wanted to live a lifetime in every minute. Oh yeah, you and I can have uh, we can have an hour, hours and hours long stories about about those days, and you'll know a lot of the the groups. And you mentioned Earth, Wind, and Fire, one of my favorite guys. And you talk about crossover. Uh, I, one show that I was a little bit leery about doing uh, was when they decided they wanted to go on tour with Chicago, and it came off. Fabulous, but it wasn't that traditional type of show where okay, Chicago will open and then comes Earth, Wind, and Fire, or you know the next night it would be you know reverse where Earth, Wind, and Fire would, would open for Chicago. They did a switch of songs where, and then they actually collaborated on a couple songs together, and it was it was crazy. It was basically four hours of Chicago and Earth, Wind, and Fire together where. You know, they would come on in Chicago, do four or five songs. Earth, Wind, and Fire would do four or five songs with virtually basically no intermission, and then they would jam together. 
So it was kind of like uh, that show that they do on CMT now, Crossroads, where we would take an artist from one genre and another and they put it together. Yeah. They were ahead of their time yes. doing it live. Yes. Like one giant super group yes. on the stage at the end. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. and That's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, and, and, and so here's the thing. They got both audiences, too, because Earth, Wind, Fire, even though they're pop, they're hardcore of, of the R&B uh, you know, audience as well, and Chicago gives you that rock and pop as well, too. And so it was it, the audience w- was a great mix it was a great crossover. Probably one of the, the best uh, crossover audiences I, I've, I've ever seen, ever been involved with. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, no, that, that's, listen, I wish I'd do that more. You know, and again, you get, you get the, the influence of, uh, of the, the people that are pulling strings at the corporate level. And I'm not saying that the corporate side is bad. The corporate side has made the money. Yeah. Probably yeah. bigger than it's ever been. Yeah, and so all that is good. You know, it's just like the all the personal trainers, personal nutritionists, personal brand managers that big time athletes have now. They tighten everything up, but they also make things bigger than they've ever been. But at the same time, I wish that you would see more of those collaborations, and I wish there'd be more train wrecks during the collaborations. I don't mean like I wish they would fail, right? But when you have different styles up there and they start to learn each other, it's fascinating artistically to watch them all come together. In Nashville, where I live, it's so much fun just to go out to little dive bars in town on a Wednesday night because you never know when you're going to see a band with a bunch of buddies. Some of them play on the road with Garth Brooks. Some of them play with Kenny Chesney, right? And they're just together. They're just, hey, let's go play out at such and such. But great. So they all get out there, and they go nuts. And it's so much fun to watch them come together. Listen, music done by artists in a way that makes it an art form rather than a, you know, rather than a super tightly choreographed thing. That art form part is great. That's what made the Grateful Dead so popular, not because they were the best writers or players or anything else. They weren't. They weren't even close. But, man, they just start going and doing stuff. And it was amazing to watch them go. Excellent stuff. And there we go. We, we're talking music. Sports and music, Trevor, they, they really do go hand in hand, don't they? And it, it's amazing where you see so many, so many athletes and coaches, they get more geeked up to meet some of their favorite artists of all time. And I've seen the same thing with the musical artists as well, too. Uh, they love their sports guys. And, uh, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to kind of – you know, collaborate with 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 both uh, together there, and, and I always appreciate people. And Frank's the exact same way too. We both love sports and music, and we kind of put them together. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing tomorrow's show. And as you know, I have invited you to participate in tomorrow's show, and I don't want you to give away what your song is tomorrow. That you're going to play guest DJ for your one song, which is nearly impossible to do. But you are looking forward to this, aren't you, tomorrow? Not only am I looking forward to it, I'm looking forward to the audience getting to know all the people you're going to have on. I mean, put me aside. I mean, you you learn a lot about people by hearing about what music they love, what music, what songs have been important to them at different parts of their lives. And now we know that you, TC, a flock of seagulls, was a formative influence in your youth. And it's, it's wonderful. I'm sure I'm sure that uh, Space Age Love Song was your uh, wedding song, right? No, it, it was. When you danced it, with it, the lovely and gracious Gina. It, 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 no, it was always in Forever by Heat Wave. Don't you forget that. There it is. Oh, well, you know what? Always, you know, you go with the classics. I like it. There you go. Did Flock you know of Seagulls hey, do a cover of that? Aside. No, no. There was no Flock of Seagulls <laughs> in, in my wedding. <laughs> go ahead. I, I, went, I went to a wedding where the couple, they were too young to be getting married and clearly also too young to be picked their own wedding song because the song they danced to at their wedding reception was didn't we almost have it all by whitney houston 
<laughs> so it's funny, Trevor. I used to, you know, I, when in my in my DJ days before I became a concert promoter, I would DJ a lot of weddings. I mean, you name the event, I would do it, and uh, and sometimes uh, I would do this. Uh, Guilty by association. I would play What's Love Got to Do With It if uh, I was, uh, you know, a little ornery that day. I would play that song at a wedding. That, that's pretty ornery. Yeah. <laughs> or, or a private dancer. You know, that would be a bad one to play at a wedding, too. The right, bride would come right, over and get you. Right. <laughs> so tomorrow's the music day, my friend. But I know we're going to have to, to tighten it up tomorrow. We've got a lot of people coming on. So, uh, yeah, you can, you can work on your delivery tomorrow to uh, introduce your song. And uh, I don't know, if you want to, you know, today kind of just give maybe a song or two that didn't make your number one, if you want to tease our audience a little bit, but save your yeah. number one for tomorrow, it's up to you. Well, you know, music, it, it, it's, it connects when you're emotional the most, yeah. right? Right. So when you're happy, it connects, but when you're angry or when you feel betrayed, and there's a couple of those songs that came up first. <laughs> One of them was Misled by Cool and the Gang. Yes. Love that song. One of my it's, favorites. That's one of the great grooves in, in R&B, right? And uh, great song. But then I thought, you know what? You know, I just don't want to, I don't want to go quite that negative. And, and then I thought, you know, the song I would really want to go negative, well, there's, there's, there's one of the most hateful songs I've ever heard, which is also one of my favorite songs. It is Beyond Hateful. But I think somebody is going to choose that song. And so I'm not going to say what it is. So tune in tomorrow to hear somebody else's important song that I believe is one of the most hateful songs on earth and also one of the greatest. Well, as we play a little Cool in the Gang, Miss Light, actually, I, that was one of Frank's songs, and we talked about that. And for that reason, we decided to scrap the song that you're talking about. Frank, you, you know what Trevor's talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. TC kind of doesn't want it going that negative. It's Death on Two Legs. If you want the ultimate song, it's by Queen off Night at the Opera, probably the most eclectic album ever with the different styles of song on there. But if you think positively 4th Street by Dylan is negative or some of the other stuff out there, Death on Two Legs, if you listen to that, that's basically... One of the lines in the song says, you're a sewer rat decaying in a cesspool of pride, and that's one of the less negative lines in the song. <laughs> that song is awesome. It is, it's a great song, yeah. but yeah. Right, we're right tabling that, that line, check. Yeah. Right before that line, it says, Dark with disease, you're the king of the sleeves. <laughs> wow! Wow! Well, I just want to see so, Trevor. Yeah. I want to see Trevor Maddich go ahead and jam to misled here. That's what I want to see. Uh, you're taking you back to Rio Americano right now with the strobe lights in the gym. But by the way, I was thinking too when you said that you would play the wedding songs if you were in a bad mood. Yeah. If you want to play a wedding song that really shows that you're in a bad mood, play Journey Separate Ways. Yeah, there's <laughs> that's another good one. Yeah, you're right. I mean, some of these weddings would take so long and it'd take forever for the bride and groom to get there, and I'm playing, I'm playing. They want to keep me there longer. Okay, here, Tina Turner, let's strike it up. Let's yeah. go. Me- meanwhile, you got the odds word behind you on the over under how long the wedding's going to last. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, did that. Too. By the way, if you want to hear a girl see a great wedding band i think it's hangover two yeah uh in the wedding at the end of that movie is the greatest depiction of a wedding band i've ever seen i'll just leave it at that is that where mike tyson makes the appearance on stage well he makes he makes an appearance also but this wedding band is so deliciously inappropriate it is unbelievable like the father of the bride would literally, in real life, if a wedding band did this, walk up to the guy and twist his head off of his neck and punt it into the lake. You're talking about so much fun to watch. You're talking about the Dan Band. 
Is that what it is? The Dan Band. Yeah, that's that's the All name. Right. Of the, that's the name of the band. There you go. See, we educate here. Want another yeah, good see, wedding song fun. for negativity? How about Queensryche? I don't. I don't believe in love. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what happened to you, Numchuck? What What happened to you? That's I'm Frank. That's, I'm Frank. That's Frank. Oh, Frank. Frank. Okay, yeah, there Frank, you go. What happened to you, Frank? <laughs> I, I I listen to a wide variety of music, <laughs> and this is what we get on a daily basis with Ballpark <laughs> well, Frank. This is the negativity we get here, and and some of us like to, we like to up. sprinkle some joy once in a while. Right now, I'm driving up uh, I-81 because I'm going up to do some football work, actually. Uh, and uh, and I listened to two songs back-to-back, right? The first one was out of the song track of Rockstar, uh, We All Die Young by Steel Dragon. And if you've heard that, there's some. that's a serious song. And then after that, I listened to There's a Kind of Hush by The Carpenters. Oh, the, look at that. What a segue What's that is. What's wrong with me? There it is. There it is. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, Steve uh, Sachs was on here yesterday talking about the DeFranco family. Uh, he, he was loving the DeFranco family. There you go. And Nicolette Larson. Yeah. DeFranco, is that like is that like DeBarge or like El DeBarge? Yeah, very close. Very close. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite as, as hip as DeBarge. I will say that there. By the way, the, there's a kind of hush. Uh, Herman's Herbert's also the version of that song. So Yeah, uh, they wrote it. I think yeah. Peter Noon wrote it. Yeah. And by was, the way. It was on their greatest hits album. Writers- Songwriters today should go back to Peter Noon and Hermits Hermits to learn melody. There's a kind of hush. Um, the Silhouettes, Henry VIII. Yeah, you know. Yeah, not yeah a- I mean, the, the melodies in those songs are just extraordinary. And, they, and the melodies hold up. Hush, not to be confused with Tush by ZZ Top, of course. And, and by the way, if you ever want to see a cheesy movie, check out uh, Herman's Hermits in Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter. Because Mrs. Brown in the movie is a Greyhound racing dog. <laughs> You're kidding me. That's fantastic. No, it, it's not. It, it's a racing dog that Peter Moon, who plays the, the part in the movie, he won in some kind of contest or something, but she won't run well, and they're trying to figure out how to get her to run again on the track. But it's a very, very cheesy movie. They thought it was going to be their hard day's night. Didn't happen. Not, not have not having seen the movie, there are so many ways that could be so terribly wrong. You know, we started this conversation yesterday with music. It basically took up the entire show with our interview with Steve Sachs. Again, it happened with Trevor Madge today. We, there's no sports. I mean, this has been like, a th- it's like it's turned into a, a three-day, uh, you know, song fest here. And, and we're promoting what's happening tomorrow with all the music. It's like the T.C. Martin Show version of Woodstock. It's you, a multi-day festival. You got to love it. Absolutely. Well, let, let, let me connect music with sports then real quick. All right. Uh, just so we can say we did. All right. Uh, so many great traditions of college football teams entering the stadium. The one people think of most often, I think, is Clemson uh, touching Howard's Rock and coming down that hill. Right? It is one of the yep. great moments in college football when they do that. But another one is Virginia Tech when they play Inner Sandman by Metallica and the crowd, it builds, the excitement builds, the crowd is jumping up and down, the whole stadium is about to First, and then out comes Virginia Tech's football players, and that moment, sitting here in a parking lot on the side of I-81, the the hair in the back of my neck is up because you know they have taken music and perfectly married it to the culture of their football program, and I can't wait for them to open this season against North Carolina. That's going to be one of the sneaky, awesome games of of the early season. Yes, seen it many times there, Trevor Maddich, uh, never in person. Always wanted to go check that out. But, yeah, we see it on, on TV quite a bit. Yeah, that is uh, one of the great entrances. 
Yeah, fantastic stuff, man. All right. Trevor Maddich, ESPN. I, I need to know, did you make your college football tour this year? I mean, Trevor travels all over the place on his own dime in the spring. He gets to do all this. Couldn't obviously do it last year. What about this year? Were you shut down or did yeah. you get to hit some spots? No, the last two years I couldn't go visit as many colleges as I wanted to. You know, I did stop by some places and had ultra distance. But for the most part, no, uh, because of COVID. And so, you know, what I'll do is I'll drive on my own my own time, my own expense, my own car. I'm buying the gas. I'm paying the hotels. I'll do ten or 12,000 miles visiting schools literally from coast to coast and, and north to south just to get an idea of what's going on to be ready for the season. And uh, for then they figured that out, and they sent camera crews out to uh, double back with me to four or five schools. And we did little mini features um, that turned into kind of a big deal to preview the season. Last year we did nothing. This year we still wanted to do it, so it was virtual. I called folks on the phone, and then we set up this amazing virtual environment that I was in, and I interviewed people, you know, remotely, and I, I, it just has been finished. In other words, all the editing has been finished as of today, and they just sent me the uh, the link to it, and I haven't seen it yet. So watch Sports Center for these. There, there's four schools that we did, and we'll show it individually and as a half hour feature. And uh, so we're still there, and it will be tremendous fun. So keep an eye on Sports Center for this year's virtual tour. It's it's. It sounds like it's really good. I have to see it, though. Yeah, and I believe Sunday, uh, when we are going to get a chance to actually see it, I think ESPN is actually uh, debuting this on Sunday. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Sunday, I need to go off into the woods and hide just in case uh, it's not as good as I think. Actually, I'm I sure had uh, one of the producers, yeah. like the tip-top producers that's above the level of actually producing it. He supervises the people who produce it kind of a thing. And he he sent me a text with, some praise about how it turned out in terms that he doesn't ordinarily use. And so I'm like, okay, this thing might end up being pretty good. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. But the point is that it's so exciting to, to get an idea of these schools. So, so we did Oregon, uh, Clemson, Georgia, and somebody else. Um, uh, Cincinnati. Oh, really? By the way, Cincinnati Bearcats got in there. Okay, is, is more than just the dark horse to make the playoff. They have a clear spot. I mean, yeah. Cincinnati, the team they have coming back, can compete with pretty much anybody, and they're going to go up and play at Indiana, and then they have a bye week, and then they play at Notre Dame, and if they're able to to win both of those games, Cincinnati might be the first Group of Five team to bust their way into the fourteen playoff. They're that good. All right, looking forward. And since they had a great season uh, last year as well. All right, he is Trevor Maddich. You watch for him on ESPN. All of that stuff is around the corner. Does a fantastic job on the college football side as well, the NFL side uh, as well too. But, uh, Trevor, you know what this means. Since we didn't get a chance to, to get any football, we have to have you back next week so we could start talking, uh, do a little bit more of a full season preview, some things I want to hit on. And then, of course, tomorrow – Trevor Maddich will be part of the extravaganza as the T.C. Martin Show Song Fest tomorrow, giving us his go-to song tomorrow and uh, start practicing uh, your, your, your DJ voice tomorrow in, in, in your song intro. Hey, all you groovy guys and gals, come on in tomorrow. Tune in. We'll be playing some of the greatest hits of our lifetimes. Okay, that's not very good. Uh, I guess uh, I guess I should get off a of radio and stick to print. <laughs> whatever, whatever. You know, you're good in front of the camera, my friend. You're great. You know? <laughs> so you, know? you agree. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you know 
My man, Trevor Maddich, no well, doubt. We just want to know real right, quick, thanks, are man. you coming out here for the BYU-Arizona game? That's right. We got that next Saturday night. Come on, man. I know. How awesome is that going to be? Yeah. The, uh, you, nope, I'm not going to be able to make it because I'll uh, be working somewhere else. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, I would definitely come up and say hi. But but BYU could be a sneaky good team, too, this year. We'll see. Arizona, uh, Arizona's got some excitement there. We'll see how close they are to... To, you know, putting it together, but yeah, no, it'll be. They named a quarterback BYU, did Jaron Hall. So uh, I won't be there though. So you guys will have to have all the fun for me, and I know it's going to happen. Frank, you just stay in TC's back pocket, and you will be backstage in the VIP room with all the biggest acts in Las Vegas anytime you want, because that's how TC rolls. <laughs> I think we just want to go down and see the BYU mascot next Saturday night. There you go. Maybe get on the field, uh, you know, with, with your mascot there. Yeah, that's Cosmo the Cougar, who is the greatest dancing cougar. Listen, Kirk Herbstreit and those guys on game day were so blown away with how that guy dances in that suit. And uh, when right. you see it, you'll see why. All right, my friend. Yeah, we're used to seeing BYU uh, here in Vegas, you know. Obviously, former Mountain West. Uh, we see him at the Las Vegas Bowl all the time. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing them against Arizona. Uh, BYU, a, bi- a double-digit favorite in that game next week, Trevor, too. So, yeah, I'll be sending you pictures. I'll be sending you food pictures as uh, well as some BYU uh, sideline stuff, too. There you go. Did you say food pictures? Well, of course. That's how I roll, you know. Yes. Okay, so so when we're off the air, I want you to tell me which is your favorite buffet in Las Vegas. Oh. Well, they're all closed down yeah. right now, so it doesn't yeah, matter. <laughs> it's easy for me. It's my home It's my home turf. It's the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. It's the Wicked Spoon. And that one is actually open. It's open. It's the best. The Wicked Spoon. You're coming to Vegas. I'm taking you to the Wicked Spoon, Trevor Maddich. Done deal. Done. I will wear my flock of seagulls. <laughs> T-shirt. You do that, I'll ha- and I'll have my Parliament Funkadelic sweatshirt on. How's that? I want to TC. Oh, flashlight, baby. Yeah! I want to see TC wear the flock of seagulls um, wig. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Napoleon Dynamite. Trevor, we'll talk to you tomorrow, my friend. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. There he is, Trevor Maddich, ESPN, a uh, great friend. And uh, he, you know he loves his music. He's chiming in to, tomorrow with so many other guests uh, as well tomorrow with the T.C. Martin Show. Songfest, we come back. Scott Spritzer will join us, and we are talking NFL and college football. Solomon Kimley in the backfield. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And Tua throwing the other way to a wide open. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. Hour number two here on this Thursday, T.C. Martin Ballpark. Frank with ya. Uh-huh. Getting ready for tomorrow's show. Again, a little heads up. We're going music tomorrow. That's right. Music, music, music. A variety of genres of music as well, too. Take a little break from sports because we love music. We love sports. We're incorporating it tomorrow. So two hours. When you turn on this show tomorrow between 2 and 4, you're going to be hearing some great tunes, favorite songs of ours, special meaning to us, and our guests, our regular guests are participating. And uh, if you just listened to the last hour, you heard Trevor Maddich just get a 
a jump ahead. Uh, we had Steve Sachs getting a jump ahead yesterday. Uh, you can see these athletes love their music like I love the music, like you love the music. And we decide, hey, let's do a music show one day, make a specialty show. And uh, tomorrow is that day, playing some of our favorite songs. We're inviting some of our regular guests that uh, you hear all the time here. doesn't matter if it's football, baseball, basketball season, or broadcasters. Not even a, some maybe not even in the sports world. Uh, true, true, true. So uh, we've got uh, s- several, many that will be participating tomorrow. They get to come in and play DJ, announce their song, what uh, song means uh, the most to them or one of theirs. Again, it's, it's impossible to pick one, two, or three songs. Again, like I said last hour, we probably have at least over 100 go-tos that just mean so much to us. But tomorrow we're picking songs that uh, kind of fit the mode, fit the mood tomorrow, have a good time with it. So uh, tomorrow, 2 to 4, it is the T.C. Martin Show Song Fest. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. And like I say, I'm going over the, all this, and maybe I took it a little bit too serious, but it was very hard for me to cut it down and try to find the vibe of everything else and how negative do you want to go, how positive do you want to go, you know, something that's not necessarily a ballad but maybe a little bit slower, you know, what's too rocking out or too long or short or whatever. So, yeah, it's uh, it was quite an endeavor, but uh, a lot of fun at the same time. Yeah. I, I just still find it amazing that a guy that went to BYU is a fan of Death on Two Legs. Yeah, right. <laughs> Plus, I was thinking, too, when you asked him about that game coming up. Yeah. It, it, like on the on the nature channels, a wildcat and a cougar would probably be a pretty good fight. Yeah, that's true. I don't know how much of a fight it's going to be uh, with uh, the Arizona Wildcats. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, wow. you know, uh, fr- frequently yeah. on, the, on the gridiron and stuff like that, yeah. the names don't really mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, looking forward to our music show tomorrow. Make sure you, you tune in. Scott Sprites is going to join us a little bit later this hour. We start talking some handicapping of week number three. Remember, that is the final r- uh, preseason action coming up this weekend. Uh, games actually... Uh, starting tomorrow night with that. So they load those up Friday, Saturday. Not going to really have any Sunday games. Uh, and well, they then, don't want to go against the Jake Paul fight because yeah, they know that that's a loser. Yeah. So. <laughs> and Al Bernstein. Uh, I'll, you know, Al Bernstein wanted to join us you know, tomorrow because, again... Well, with, you talk so, about the music, man. He is the music exactly. man. And again, you know, when we talk so much music on the show with people that uh, you know, either perform or just have a... You know, music historians and all that sort of thing. And so Al Bernstein was one of the first guys that came to mind. Okay, we got to incorporate Al in the show. Al is so apologetic, saying, I can't participate tomorrow because he's going to be on a plane because he's going to call the Jake Paul Tyrone Woodley fight uh, coming up on uh, Sunday night. By the way, did you see the fireworks during that uh, little weigh in today? There were some fireworks going on because during the, the standoff, apparently the Jake Paul camp or entourage. Started uh, shouting some stuff and saying it to Tyrone Woodley's mother. Jake uh, Jake Paul said, well, they were all idiots. We're all to blame in that. And Tyrone Woodley's like, no, no, we're not all to blame. Your people are completely out of line. They have no business doing this. Tyrone Woodley's sister got in the face a couple of the She almost got in a brawl with some of the people. Tyrone Woodley basically, after the weigh-ins and the standoff, said... F this fight, F the purse, F it. I mean, he is very upset because he thinks it's completely classless. So all of a sudden there's a little bit more fireworks now because Tyrone Woodley said, you want to say stuff to me, that's fine. You bring my mother into this, and it's a whole new ball game. So a little bit more animosity between the camps now. I'm hoping that that fuels it to maybe be a better fight on Sunday because when you bring somebody's mama into it, sometimes that's not good.
Well, people thought that you know the brother, you know, taking Floyd Mayweather Jr.'s hat. I know, and I, gonna, I know, you know it's all garbage. promo stuff yeah. too. But yeah, but it's yeah. uh, yeah. I mean, okay, that, so we know this fight is a joke. Okay, now are you sure? You said the weigh-ins. You, this had to be the press conference, well, yeah, right? Yeah, just because the, the weigh-ins would well, not well, yeah, be until yeah, 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 no, Saturday. Well, yeah, they were standing right? there and they're. You but it know, wasn't the weigh-ins. Jake Paul was shirtless. Whatever it was. Some oh press no, I'm just wondering because yeah. this fight is such a joke. Yeah, it could be a weigh-in. I was going, why would they be weighing in three days? Yeah, ahead I don't of time? I know. Well, whatever it was, because okay. the, the families were all Probably sitting in conference. chairs and that, and they were standing and kind of facing off and doing yeah. this stuff. And Woodley was just standing there with his hands kind of crossed, like, and let's get this over. And Jake Paul's trying to like flex to show that I don't have my shirt on. You know, but but then they started talking trash to his right. mom, and he did not appreciate that. And in this specialty goofball stuff here, I, I said stuff and not something else. Uh, do they even have weigh-ins? Is there a need for a weigh-in? I, I don't know. Because I, th- I think there will be weigh-ins because they're going to say what the weights are. But or are, whatever. are these guys? Because we saw the what the sixty-pound difference between Paul and Mayweather, so that didn't even matter. No, but so I think they what's still the situation just need it for this to, fight. I, 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 I think it's like whatever they weigh in there, they're still a fight or whatever. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I honestly but it's not like someone. Close. It's not like they're going to uh, cancel the bout if someone's over the weight limit. No, no, no. Yeah, there probably I, isn't a weight limit, right? I, I think it's like if there is, it's like a catch weight of one ninety or one. I mean, it's a, enough that, that, that they're both going to make whatever weight it is. Or what would we so. fight at normally? Ah, uh, man, I, I don't even remember for okay. sure. It, it wasn't that big. So Jake Paul will have some size and weight on him. Okay. I mean, that's like I what, said, Woodley was never a heavyweight, though. He was. No, no, that's what yes, I'm, I'm saying. saying yeah. So they're going to be close, right? Yeah. You know, one seventy-five. One seventy around yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I was going to say that's one of the UFC weight classes. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was around there or something like that. So Paul's going to be bigger than him. Woodley might be a little bit bigger than normal because he doesn't have to cut weight for this fight. But yeah, I mean, yeah, and and I was looking at a little bit of the undercard too, and because I know Al was saying, you know, there's some good fighters on there, and that there are some good fighters, but I don't know if there's good betting options. Yeah, because like the woman's fight before the main event of Jake Paul and Tyrone Woodley, uh, the favorite's like a minus two thousand or something. Yeah. So you know, there's th- there's some decent fighters, but there's I don't know how competitive the fights are going to be. Yeah. But we'll see what happens. I think what Al was saying is, it, you know, these type of things gets in Showtime got lambasted last time because they are Showtime Championship boxing, especially though the standalone now that you know HBO is gone as far as you know your your satellite and cable televisions. But you know, at least they're putting regular their boxers in there in matches. Right. And I think that's what he was saying. At least you're going to have matches are they going to be competitive we'll see but that's a lot better you know than the nonsense and they tried to do that with the the last card too but i mean one of the fighters i know had to drop out of it uh frank mirror actually was decent although he's a former mma fighter in his one boxing match so they are trying to put some names out there and make it a little bit more legit and that sort of stuff but i think you you have to if you you want to keep the audience well yeah if you want to keep the audience and especially the mma and the boxing exactly and that's the other thing too if you want to keep yeah you're going to get the novelty fans of the youtube and the social media people for the Paul brothers but if you want to try to legitimize it at all and bring other people in then you have to have some names out there and like we mentioned when we talked to L this is an opportunity for those people that maybe aren't as well known to get their name out there and probably look good on a fight card and maybe it's a name that somebody will remember and then they get on a on a different card that's all boxing or something so I don't really see I know a lot of people just poke fun at it and say all the negatives about it hey you know what the fighters are getting paychecks and you know, if if they can get a couple extra dollars and get their name out there a little bit more, God bless them for it. It's a capitalistic society. You're watching this thing on Sunday, aren't you? I I probably am because I've been looking around. I have a couple friends that wanted to see it. 
I wasn't going to go out of my way to see it. You're not going to pay for it, though, are you? No, 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 no. There, I, I noticed today there's a place that has advertised that there is no cover charge. So Okay. So go someplace else instead of buying it at home. Oh, I wouldn't buy it at yeah. home no matter what. And do we know what is the, the price tag $59. for the pay- this I looked at it today. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Which is still cheaper than the Pacquiao fight was last week. Which well, was- of course it's going to be cheaper, yeah. I mean. But that- the Pacquiao, a lot of people thought they would drop the, the price once Spence Jr. went out, and they didn't. It was still 75 yeah. bucks. Some people thought it was going to be cheaper. But that, this that's for a, a world title fight. This is for... No title, no nothing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I'm saying all yeah. that they talked about was how the Pacquiao fight had lost some of the lusters to the non-big yeah, yeah. fans that's and that a, sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, both prices are – I wouldn't pay that price for either one of the fights well, I mean, at home. I mean, you look at uh, you know other championship fights, they're in the neighborhood of $100. They're $99. And, and, and I get that, so, and yeah. I wouldn't pay that either. Yeah. Now, maybe yeah. I'm cheap or maybe – that, that's why I'll find a place to go out and watch it someplace. bucks for this because we've seen oh, other – I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, we, we've seen other fights of this magnitude, which, again, is a joke, have, have been for 25 and $29, even $19. Yeah. Well, they've definitely but, gone up, and I think – But they're going all... Woodley's name a little bit, and they're saying, okay, he's a former UFC guy, so maybe we can get 49 59 bucks. So, well, I think they're also that's the showing that they've been making money at the other prices. So they've been jacking it up oh, yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's supply and demand. If they didn't think they'd get it, they wouldn't charge it. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see who's buying it. Again, probably a relatively fair price if you're you're into that. So we'll see. And again, it, 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 Nunchuck's this, not paying for this it. This seems to me like a card that if you're a boxing fan and you're buying it, you're buying it for the earlier fights. If you're a social media person, you want to see Jake Paul, then you're going to pay whatever that yeah, is. Yeah, I so tell you right now, the boxing fan isn't buying this at all because even the the boxing fan hasn't really heard of of these other the, fighters. the undercard fighters. Yeah, because those are undercard fighters who would never even be on a pay per view. So again, they're marketing to Jake Paul. That's who they're marketing to, and possibly the UFC. So the, those are their their two targets, and I don't think it's. Probably even 50-50 with that, do you? Oh, no, no, yeah. no way. Yeah. Because UFC has a free event going on. Well, there's a Saturday night, but they have another this fight Sunday, night card yeah. on, on Saturday. This is Sunday, so. It'll be interesting yeah, I, to see what, again, the, what the number I, of I buys are. Again, I don't know what the numbers did before. I I was amazed at how much the one where they had the concert and the fights going on or whatever were, you know, where Snoop Dogg performed and then Justin Bieber was and, there and, and all this. And people are buying for you that. Know, yeah, Because I, I went there because, again, I met some friends and I watched that not knowing that all the concert was there. And I'm like, so it's a three- or four-hour thing, but over half of it is music stuff from people I don't know and don't give a rat's you-know-what about. <laughs> but there are probably some Bieber fans and some oh, there were. fans. The funny thing was yeah. one of the people I was with was like, well, I don't really know those other people, but now at least Justin Bieber's here, and I'll know, I'll know the tunes they're playing. And then apparently he did some stuff that isn't hits of his, like he broke out some new material, and he's like, I don't know any of these songs either. <laughs> I'm like, well, I wouldn't have known them either way, so, but... Uh, yeah, it's uh, and I and I because I our buddy Armando, he's the one, and he knew that this was going on. I looked at For him, sure. and he goes, he goes, well, Frank, I wasn't going to tell you that because I knew then you wouldn't show up. And I'm like, make Armando pay for the meal, okay? There you go. He wants you there. Go to go to the meal, Armando. You're making me sit through this nonsense. Armando said that he was happy when he went to SummerSlam because he said he got his beers and stuff like that before everything broke down. So (laughs) so he was content with it. But uh, but yeah. Now we also said that oh well, if I knew that they were giving away stuff, maybe it would have gone back down there. Here we go. (laughs) We always talk about the people going for the free food. There it is. Okay. Uh, NFL stuff. All right. Uh, Ryan Tannehill has tested positive for COVID. Um, he's going to miss up to up to ten days. Although 
He's vaccinated. So there's the caveat there. Yes, he's vaccinated. Now people go, wait, how could this happen? You know, you can get COVID and we've, you know, talked to our good friend, Dr. Christina Madison. Yes, you can still contract this. But here's here's the weird part of this story. So, yes, he tested positive uh, for COVID. He's been vaccinated. However, Tannehill said that he was in the process of getting vaccinated when training camp started. So he probably came into contact maybe actually before he was actually vaccinated. Or maybe just got one of the shots and not both. Exactly. So he said at the time that he wouldn't have gotten the vaccine, but that the NFL is forcing players' hands by instituting these protocols. So here is another guy that we've talked about. We've talked about Cole Beasley. We talked about uh, you know other uh, Cam Newton refusing to get vaccinated. Lamar Jackson. Be- Lamar Jackson. Uh, Who's had it twice and still doesn't right? want to get vaccinated. Cole Beasley has been very um, vocal about this. And uh, speaking of Cole Beasley, him and Isaiah McKenzie of the Buffalo Bills, both wide receivers, were fined for virus violations as they refused to wear their masks at the Buffalo Bills practice facility. Now, McKenzie was fined $14,000. Uh, Beasley did not say what he was fined. But, yeah, fourteen grand for that. These guys refusing to wear masks. And, again, we're at the point now where this is just stupid. It's just dang stupid for them to now, I'm going to be defiant and not wear masks. You're part of a team. You're part of an organization. An organization that's paying you. And, more importantly, the teammates. Remember we talked about this for the last week or so. How much of a circus is this going to be you know, for the people that are trying to say, I'm not going to get vaccinated in your own locker room? And we're seeing the divide already right now. And yeah, if I'm a teammate and I'm getting ready to, to start week number one, I'm saying, dude, you got to get vaccinated. You got to do it. And because you got to think of your safety, your family safety, your teammates' safety. And what about this, too? You do not want to get a forfeit because the NFL is going to go forfeits. Plain and simple. If teams contract this, there's no postponements, there's no makeups. And again, at this point in time, it's just selfish. And you can refuse to do it, but just be smart what you say and remember that you're being paid by this organization. This organization is trying to keep their team. And their organization, their facility, their environment healthy. It's pure selfishness. I mean, you can be on one side or the other with this thing, but this is going to be a problem. And the guys that are like Cole Beasley, guys like Lamar Jackson, like Cam Newton, who are refusing, they're going to be targets for the rest of this season until they do get vaccinated. Well, and can you imagine if one of these guys does spread it out throughout the locker room and he's going to cost every single person on that team a paycheck? Rudy Gobert? You know, that that, that is not going to be a good look. That is not going to be a way to ingratiate yourself in the locker room there. And I thought it was interesting because you just said just be smart or whatever. And I don't know, maybe there's NFL rules against this. And I'm surprised that we haven't seen it yet. Okay, say you don't want to wear a mask. But you have to now because that's what they're mandating. So wear a mask that says something like, I don't want to wear this thing, but I have to. You know, like when, right. you know, when Mr. Skittles went up there, Marshawn Lynch, and said, I'm only here so I don't get fined or whatever. Wear a mask of an advertiser. 
Sell it, sell it. You know who who are you supporting? A, a car dealership, or this, that, or whatever. Wear something that makes you money, or something like that. If you're against it, at least profit from it, or something like that. I don't understand this whole thing. We have to wear masks to go to the grocery store, to go to the casinos, to go out anywhere, or whatever. Unless you want to stay home and locked up in your room, wear the damn mask. If you want to go out to events and stuff like that, get the vaccine. You have the right to not get it, but if you don't want to. Then I'm sorry. You should you should have to be self quarantined. And don't give me this stuff of my constitutional rights and this, that, and the other. We've talked about it like you said before with Dr. Christina Madison and other people in that tuberculosis, smallpox. Other there's been mandated vaccines before. I believe you can't go to Clark County School District without at least five vaccines and some like up to eight or whatever the junior highs or whatever. That I don't know because I don't have kids. But you have to get vaccines for a lot of stuff today. So don't tell me they can't mandate it. That's just stupid. And by the way, the last argument that just went by the wayside, there's now at least one that is FDA approved. So Tannehill is going to miss up to 10 days. We'll see if that affects uh, opening day. It should be okay uh, by the season opener. But since visiting Tampa... Uh, and we know how, how Florida is, you know, with COVID and everything. When Tennessee visited Tampa for joint practices with the Buccaneers, the Titans have now placed seven players on the reserve list, the COVID list. And Coach Mike Vrabel tested positive for COVID-19 uh, as well on Sunday. Two other Titan players have tested positive as well. Former Titans kicker Ryan Suckup, and I say former Titans kicker because he's now a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, uh, he tested positive for COVID. So this was running rampant between these joint practices. Now, we talk about joint practices. Hey, is this a good thing or a bad thing? We really never even talked about it from a COVID perspective. We talked about it as far as you know, getting your team ready. Does it have a little bit less meaning for the preseason games because you're doing the joint practices before you face this team You know, two days before? Now we're seeing people get COVID. During these joint practices, so Suckup, like we said, now a member of the Bucks, tested positive on Monday. Suckup went to dinner with three Titans players while they were in Tampa during these joint practices. However, luckily, none of the Titans players that were at that dinner had tested positive, but seven other ones did. And uh, if we're looking at the scoreboard here as far as the percentage of teams uh, or players being vaccinated on these teams... The Tennessee Titans do say they have 97% of their team and their uh, coaching staff vaccinated. Right, and again, but like we but said before. your quarterback has got it. Well, and again, I mean, it, it is, even if you are vaccinated, it doesn't mean you can't get it. It means the symptoms are probably going to be a lot m- more mild, and you're probably not going to end up in an ICU or something. So, you know, those are some of the advantages. I don't know what's going to happen this season. I don't think they're off to a great start. I am curious to see if, probably when, some team does have to forfeit a game out there. I, I just don't know why this is so politicized. And now I'm sure you've heard the latest stuff about this. And I was watching some of the news channels last night, Channel Surfing. Now there's a big thing where people are taking the stuff for horses and cows and that, a dewormer thing, because social media says that gets rid of COVID better than the vaccine. So the CDC actually sent out a text saying, you're not a, how, you're not a horse, you're not a cow. Come on, y'all, quit doing this stuff. They're literally telling people, people, and they don't know the dosage to put in them in that because it, 
it, it, it de- basically deworms horses and cows and livestock on the farm and that. And people are shooting this stuff into their bodies instead of getting the vaccine. Wait. I don't understand Wait. people. So you're telling me that people are putting a vaccine or something. That, a livestock a vaccine livestock that's for vaccine. deworming horses then and again, cows mainly. They won't get this approved. FDA vaccine. Be- because they say they don't want to put something in their body that they don't know what's right. in it. I'm sure that they all know every single ingredient that's in the vaccine for the horses and cows. The, the CDC literally sent out a text saying, you're not a horse, you're not a cow. Knock you, it off. You understand when you use the term deworming? You lost me right there. A deworming drug. It, it's for it's for livestock that have worms in I their stomachs that's, and stuff like that's that. My so, point. Yeah. That that scares me off right there. Well, I would think so too. For first off, as soon as somebody says something's for a horse or a cow, I'm thinking I I don't run around on four legs, so it's probably not for me. The drug is generally used in animals to treat or prevent certain parasites or heartworm disease. That's it. Let's stick that in our veins. And they're doing it all over the place. It, it, they said that in Arkansas right now, I think that's one of the states that they were talking about, the farmers can't get this ingredient anymore to take care of their livestock and their farms because people are buying it up so much. And then and, and then, what dose do you put in yourself? Yeah. They said that local physicians in that are getting called in hospitals. People are calling going, okay, I got the stuff. Now, how much do, how much do I inject into me? And they're like, don't inject any of it. No, no, I saw it on Facebook. Facebook, because social media never lies. <laughs> Screw the government and all these scientists and everybody else. Give me something for Mr. Ed. <laughs> I'm having a flashback to uh, maybe one or several of the blacklist episodes where, uh, you know, Red has his uh, own private doctor who's, uh, you know, on a farm somewhere in a, in a, in a vet. And, uh, you know, a guy gets shot up and, hey, you've got to go patch this guy up. Well, we can't take him to a hospital because, you know, going to get arrested or whatever. Yeah, let's take him to my vet friend. Uh, what? I'm here in a vet? I'm not going to do that. Oh, believe me, it's, it's, it's cool. It's fine. Totally fine. Oh, okay. I mean, I know, Patch on, him up. I know on Green Acres, Arnold was considered part of the family, yeah. the pig to the Ziffles, but it was a TV show. It wasn't real. And he was a very small pig. He wasn't a 3,000-pound horse or whatever they get up to. Hey, ask Samuel Jackson, though, in Pulp Fiction, Jules Winfield. He'll tell you, that Arnold Ziffle, man, he's pretty. He's smart. He's smarter than your average dog, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Don't. But yeah, no, I, I saw, I heard about this, and then last night I saw it on the news. And there, there's, there's certain states out there where they said they're running out of this drug for the farmers and that to use for their livestock because so many people are buying it and using it, actually using it. The Rams got Sony Michelle. Can you use the dewormer on them? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're talking the Rams, the football team, not yeah. the, not the livestock. <laughs> <laughs> Rams get Sony Michelle from the New England Patriots. Uh, the Rams running back Cam Akers, he's been injured. Daryl Henderson is the starter. So the Rams, they're in dire need of some help at the running back position. Obviously, this was a, a big issue for them last season after getting rid of Todd Gurley. Sony Michelle is a guy that uh, can play. And uh, a little bit surprised that the Patriots decided to get rid of him. But I can see why, because they're having so much... Uh, you know, positivity with with uh, with Damien Harris from uh, who came out of Alabama, you know, two years ago. Uh, so he, he's going to get his reps. It looks like. So the Patriots said, "Hey, Sony Michelle, you are expendable." The Rams get him. So yeah, we'll see how this works out. Uh, you know, for the Rams, but uh, 
Yeah, definitely. They need some help at running back. Almost as much help as the Raiders need at linebacker. And, and you know, it's interesting, too, because you look at something like that. When a play, if you're going to get cut from a team, it's probably more advantageous to get cut early so other teams can get a good look at you in that before they get their rosters there. You know, sometimes if you hang on to the final cut, you don't have a team left to go to or whatever. So for, for Sony Michelle, uh, you know, that, that might be a good move that uh, – you know that he got cut early enough for the Rams to come and pick him up. Right, right. So, yeah, uh, Sonny Michel. You know, he had a great game for the Patriots. I think he had like 94 yards and a touchdown against the Rams when they played him in that Super Bowl. So a lot of times, you know, coaches will do that. They'll say, hey, you know, this guy, you know, you know tore us up, uh, you know, a few years back. Let's, uh, let's take a look at this guy. So... Anyway, um, yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on that. But uh, yeah, the Raiders, uh, you know, also uh, you know made, made a couple moves here uh, as well too. They're looking for some some big time linebacking help, and they signed uh, linebacker Denzel Perryman. Now he's got to pass a physical, you know, first. But Perryman uh, actually played for Gus Bradley his time as a defensive coordinator for the San Diego Chargers. I should say San Diego. There you go. The L.A. Chargers. And then Perryman spent the, the last couple seasons with the Carolina Panthers. So uh, here we go. The Raiders already, you know, looking for, for moves here via trade. And, uh, you know, they, they got him for a six-round pick. So nice move by, by the Raiders. And we'll see what Perryman, you know, brings. Uh, Denzel Perryman, a, a pretty good linebacker. But the Panthers willing to uh, to part ways with him, but uh, moves being made uh, before training camp even has their final cuts. Yeah, and kind of a point of concern too when you're already talking about injury problems and a little bit of lack of depth and that kind of stuff in preseason when there's still you know a couple more cuts to make. So, but yeah. uh, we'll see how it plays out. But you know, it's a contact sport, and you know, it's injuries do happen out there. I'm curious to see what happens with the final cuts and that kind of stuff because once those are made this year, it's not going to be another preseason game for some, you know. But they can bring somebody in and practice, and like you said, people are going to have to, you know, pass physicals and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You wonder that too. Uh, how many times are we going to see somebody saying that they've signed so and so to a contract? Oh, wait a second, he passed the physical, physical, but he's got COVID. Right there, you go. All right, Scott Sprites is going to join us. We start handicapping the final preseason games this weekend, plus college football. And our guy from uh, Omaha, Nebraska, is pretty dialed in because Saturday we've got Nebraska, Illinois. Get wrecked with the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, finally, we're hitting the end of the preseason schedule. I say finally because just not a big fan of preseason. And I know that you can find some spots from a betting perspective. It usually works out. But you need to get the information. And if you don't have that information, then you're in trouble. Or sometimes we get the wrong information. I just had a flashback to commercials I, I had to do years ago. I, and that's why <laughs> when I'm saying this, I'm looking at you like that. Yes. Yeah. The, the guys that do the uh, the tout services, they use the different names, and uh, it's the same guy, but it's a different name every year and that sort of thing. Yeah. I can either confirm nor deny that. Yeah. <laughs> College football starts this week, too. We've got a handful of games and a, a big docket on the way next week. And let's visit with our good friend Scott Spritzer, Doc Sports. Scott, what's going on, man? What's going on, guys? Hey, hey, hey. All right. Uh, you know I want to talk uh, Nebraska-Illinois with you here. But uh, before uh, we get into that, let's, uh, let's zero in on the NFL. Week three, final preseason games here. Uh, how are we handicapping these these final games? 
just like you said, man, just trying to find information where you find one team playing their regulars a little bit more than their opponent, and that's kind of been the case you know, this year as in every other year, but it has been a different handicap because we haven't seen, you know, coaches that normally play to win, not always playing to win. Look at uh, the Vikings. You know, you got a coach who has always won preseason games, and all of a sudden it looks like he just doesn't care about results. He cares about keeping guys healthy. They can't win. You look at Baltimore, same old, same old. They would have won 19 or 20 straight preseason games now under Harbaugh. So it's just a, a little bit different approach and mindset i'm not involved in nearly as many preseason games as i have been in years past and um uh, you look at some stuff going on this week you've got for instance the raiders playing san francisco on sunday Uh, the niners have come out and said you know shanahan has said their regulars their starters are going to play a good chunk of this football game we still haven't had anything confirmed on what gruden and the raiders are going to do in this contest. you got a quarterback for them who's played every snap so far, basically, in Peterman. So the different stuff going on, some coaches still look like they want to go out there and give it their best shot. You know, everybody talks about Gruden winning these games. He won last week. Well, they were outgained by more than 100 yards in the game. It wasn't because they outplayed their opponent that they won that game. It's just the way things fell by the end of the contest. So, yeah, it's just got to pick and choose a lot. You know, I'm looking at maybe the under in the Jaguars game, which doesn't go until Sunday. Uh, we did find out today that the Titans are a mess when it comes to the COVID protocol situation. You know, all of a sudden, Tennessee's got guys missing left and right uh, because of COVID, including some coaches. And, you know, because of that, all of a sudden, you see the Chicago get, uh, Bears get a spike in the line for Saturday's game. So, uh, you know, my best thing, again, my best piece of advice is wait till as close to game time as possible if you don't have the important information yet on those games. And then if you do get some, you know, great information before kickoff, you use it. You know, we saw last week the Eagles game. I took a loss there. You know, we're looking at a quarterback in Hurts who was supposed to play. He's on the sideline three minutes before kickoff, dancing around, throwing the football, full pads. As they're kicking the ball off, they say, well, he's been taken off the field. He's not going to play the entire game. Didn't know why. Found out later it was a stomach issue. So, it's just one of those things, man. It's like this is one of the first preseasons that I can remember where I said it's probably better to wait until week one of the regular season. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Hey, if you want to be patient, uh, you know, just, just wait till week number one when they're really playing for real. And going back to what you said, use the example as the Raiders and the 49ers. The 49ers are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. They play Sunday at 1 o'clock in San Francisco, or actually, I guess, uh, Santa Clara to be exact there at Levi Stadium. But – what advantage is it, Scott, really for a coach to come out and say, you know, who they're going to play for how long and that sort of thing? Because we know for the most part, you know, during the course of regular seasons, pretty much in all sports, you know, managers and baseball and then even, you know, with, with uh, NBA coaches and even the NFL, I mean, they have to put out injury reports. We get that. But a coach never, ever wants to kind of tip their, their game plan. So and everyone is trying to find the edge, find out who's going to play, who's not going to play, what's in the coach's mindset. Some of these coaches will actually talk about it, but others still kind of want to play it close to the vest here. And I guess, you know, my long-winded question here is, is you know, why should a coach come out and, and tell people what he's going to do? I think in preseason, it's, and this goes back, several years and so it might be a little bit different now but it, to me it seems the same and it seems logical you know I asked Jack Snow that one time the former Rams all pro the former Notre Dame all-American 
and, and this is, of course, you know, 15 or more than that, 17 years ago. And I asked him why you will see coaches, some coaches do it, some coaches won't. And he basically explained it's just kind of a gentleman's agreement in preseason, but not everybody's a gentleman, right? And so you will see guys saying what they're going to do. And, you know, maybe that st- still holds true to a certain extent. I mean, if I'm on the other sideline, it's only a preseason game. I want to know what the other team's going to do so we can throw out, you know, our certain players to match up and see how we do. And we could both get something out of that preseason game. So, uh, you know, the best of my knowledge is if that still holds true, what it did a couple of decades ago, uh, then that's the reason they do it. But you do still see some coaches, you know, playing it by the vest or whatever you want to call it when it comes to announcing who's going to play and who's not going to play. I mean, for instance, you know, they could have announced in Philly last week that he wasn't going to play at quarterback in that game probably before the kickoff, right? I mean, it's, you know, so it's just kind of interesting to see how guys match up against each other. But I think for the most part, you know, if I'm going to put my starters out there for a half, I don't want to see my starting quarterback and starting offensive line going up against guys who are trying to make the team. I want to see how they're going to fare against the best the other team has to offer, at least for a quarter. And because of that, I'm going to announce, hey, I'm going to start, you know, my guy at quarterback. I'm going to start my offensive line first stringers, defense first stringers, the whole shebang, just to let the other guy know because I want to see how I match up against their best and see what i got to work on going into the regular season. I want to touch on something that you mentioned earlier with the Raiders and starting Peterman taking every snap in the first two preseason games. There seems to be a lot of people out there that think that they want to see if maybe he's qualified to be the backup and use Mariota for some trade bait, maybe get some linebackers, maybe get something to help the team down the road or something like that. Do you buy that theory, or do you think it's just because they don't want to put Mariota and Carr in there so it's, it's his ball to have for the preseason games? Man, I, I don't agree with those people at all, uh, Frank. I, I'm looking at that. And I'm going, you know, I've heard people say it about Peterman. Look how well, he hasn't played that well. He's thrown 65 passes against backups. He's got one touchdown and three interceptions. You know, he's been functional, I guess you could say. And so when I hear people saying, well, we got to, you know, maybe move Peterman ahead of Mariota in a depth chart, I'm like, boy, if they do that, they're asking for trouble. Uh, Mariota knows how to start regular season football games, whether you like what his results have been or not is another story, but Peterman, you know, he's not an NFL starter. He's certainly a backup, and you don't want to go to him, I think, if you would get an unfortunate injury to Derek Carr. So, you know, let him have his preseason snaps. Let him maybe audition for another team if he can't break it in, in, in Las Vegas. But, again, I'm watching him play against backups. I mean, they got out gained by over 100 yards last week against the Rams, and, again, he's thrown one touchdown three interceptions against backups so far this preseason. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you on that one. <laughs> yeah, Scott Spreitzer joins us, uh, Doc Sports, talking a little NFL action here, Scott, as we look forward to the regular season. We still have a couple teams that are going through some quarterback battles. Uh, give me your thoughts here on uh, w- what's going to happen with uh, a couple of these teams here. And I know uh, San Francisco, speaking of uh, the Raiders and the Niners this week, I'm it sounds like they're going to go with Jimmy Garoppolo, but still Trey Lance is, is, is breathing down Garoppolo's uh, throat. Then over in New England, you, now you got the Mac Jones scenario because Cam uh, Newton hasn't been around for the past five you know days or so. And the Saints, they still got themselves a quarterback battle going. Yeah, I guess, you know, Sean Payton is saying he's going, well, there's been two ways of thinking about this. There's some talk that Sean Payton is going to announce who his regular season starter is going to be minutes before the final preseason game kicks off. Uh, there's others saying he's going to wait and see how they perform in that game, which goes back to our original thoughts. 
when I jumped on with you guys is, you know, there's a game I don't want to play. I don't know what he's going to do. Is he going to make the call and say, hey, this guy's our starter. He's going to sit for this game, and the other guy's going to just go out and play and go through the motions. He's going to be the backup in week one of the regular season. That's what's going on in New Orleans. So, you know, I got a feeling Sean Payton's already made up his mind. I know they gave a ton of pats on the back to Jameis Winston last week, and rightfully so. He played well, uh, but he did play with the starters. And then you bring in his backup who's trying to fight for a job and a guy who's been there for a while, so he knows Peyton's system, but he's playing with all the reserves. And so if Peyton has yet to make up his mind, he's going to start Hill, let him play with the starters, and then have Jameis Winston come in afterwards, whether he plays with starters or backups, to give Hill a true shot at being able to start. I'll tell you this much. Listen, we know that Jameis Winston has a busload of talent. We do know that. We also know that he makes a busload of bad decisions when he's going through his progressions, and he'll throw the pick just when you don't need him to. And so, you know, I don't know. It's another tough one because he's saying he's going to announce it right before the last preseason game. Others are saying he won't until after that game. Uh, that's a tough one to call. I would probably, I mean, if it was up to me and you grade out quarterbacks the way I do, and I've got certain things that I look at that I grade out quarterbacks, in the NFL for handicapping purposes, I would be starting Jameis Winston a week one. I'd be using Hill all over the field like they've done before, coming in every once in a while and taking some snaps. When we look at some of these other quarterback battles, uh, a couple decisions have already been made. We talk about the Bears going with Andy Dalton over Justin Fields. Trevor Lawrence is going to get thrown in the fire right away. Uh, We know Zach Wilson is going to get thrown in the fire right away with with the Jets. You know, when we look at – at, at these games, as we try to project here, you know, towards week one, either season win totals, all this sort of thing, you know, when you're looking at these quarterbacks, uh, are these go against guys right away? And I know we got to match up, you know, the opponents and that sort of thing, but specifically looking at Lawrence and looking at Wilson and, 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 and these guys that really, uh, you know, there, there's really nothing to gauge because we really haven't seen too much of them in the preseason. And then especially, you know, even like Fields, we haven't seen too much from college. Yeah, I think they're making the right decision in Chicago because if you watch Fields, uh, he isn't recognizing some of the blitz schemes. He got his head torn off in, on a certain play last week, if you guys happen to see that highlight, or in his case, low light, because he didn't recognize a basic blitz scheme. And it was talked about a little bit by former players who said, man, he didn't pick that up at all. He didn't see it coming, uh, wasn't ready for it, and he got plastered. I don't think they want to throw him into the mix quite yet. As talented as it looks, he might be. He's got a lot to learn, and he's not recognizing things quickly enough. Trevor Lawrence, I, I did a video yesterday, guys, and I said, wow, nice of Urban Meyer to name Trevor Lawrence as the week one starting tackle dummy. Yeah, right. Uh, that's basically <laughs> what he's going to be. Uh, listen, he didn't win the job. He didn't lose the job. Gardner Minshew didn't do anything to show that he should be the starting quarterback. And I get it. This is an organizational decision. We made him our top pick. You better start him. The owner wants him. The fans that they have left around Jacksonville want Trevor Lawrence. I get why he's having to start him. That offensive line hasn't blocked well so far in the preseason. And Lawrence, when he looks downfield, you can see he's not processing things, not even close to being fast enough. He's looking through progressions, even against backups, and he looks completely overwhelmed by the speed of the NFL compared to the speed in college. And he's just not processing things as he goes through what should be his progressions. He's making bad reads. I mean, it's crazy the difference between college football's elite level and, you know, one of the worst teams in the NFL. And you've got a quarterback who is Mr. Everything at an elite level in college, and he's got no clue for 
80% of the game that he's out there in the NFL. So he, it's unfortunate that Trevor Lawrence is in Jacksonville. I've said this many, many times over the years. If David Carr, who had a ton of talent, goes anywhere but Houston, who at the time had like an entire new starting offensive line, that guy could have been a Super Bowl contender more than once. If Tom Brady lands at an offensive line like Houston back then, as David Carr did, Tom Brady might be out of the league by now, and that's no knock against Brady. He landed in the right place. I just think Trevor Lawrence landed, unfortunately for him, in the wrong place. And now it's coming out today that the players are not reacting well to Urban Meyer's coaching style. You know, that raw, raw, in-your-face crap, grabbing guys by the face mask, not saying he did that, but, you know, just kind of exaggerating a little bit. That whole in-your-face style of coaching is great for college. It's not too hot in the NFL. And I think Urban Meyer is seeing that right now. They're not reacting to him too well. You know, you mentioned the fact of, you know, the owner wants him to play, the organization wants him to play. As a coach, how do you navigate that and go to him and say, look, looking at big picture, it's best not to play him right now because we don't want to get him injured. We don't want him to be a tackling dummy. We don't want him to uh, maybe get hurt or lose his confidence or something like that. I know owners pay a lot of money and they bring somebody in and they want him to do that, but... If they're intelligent enough to trust the people they put in charge, sometimes less is more. Be on the sideline, watch the game, don't go out there, and be done before your career even starts. Are you telling me Jerry Jones hasn't made too many good decisions in the last 20 years? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I agree with you, Frank. It's like, I think that's one of the reasons sometimes we see guys who are, you know, great coaches in college not do so well in the pros because they're used to being the BMOC, the big man on campus, and now all of a sudden – you know, they think they're the big man out there, and then they find out real quick, real fast, behind closed doors that they're not the ones making or calling the shots in a lot of situations with a lot of these owners. Some of them are hands-off, but in the situation with Jacksonville, with Dallas, as I just mentioned, of course the owners pull on the strings. And I think that's hard for a coach who had such success at an elite college football program or two to get used to. I mean, listen, Urban Meyer's got a huge ego, and it's a healthy one. I'm not even saying there's anything bad about it. He's got a huge freaking ego. And the thing is, now all of a sudden he's got to, you know, discuss with the so-called higher-ups, if there are any other than the owner, that he's got to start certain guys at certain positions. And, you know, that's got to be tough to overcome and tough to swallow your pride a little bit. I agree with you, Frank. I I think owners should have a say. But I think the buck stops with your head coach if you think he was good enough to hire and run your program, your organization. Well, you know, you're going back to the, the quarterback situation where you, you got a high price guy, a high draft pick, you know, like Trevor Lawrence, throwing him to the Wolves. And then we see these coaches, owners, whoever you want to say, and they say, okay, well, yeah, you know, we, we, we got to play the guy, but maybe he needs some time, you know, to be tutored or whatever. And we heard all that with Miami with Tua. Tua came in, especially coming after the injury, and they say, okay, let's, let's let him sit a little bit here. But they didn't waste any time. I mean, Fitzpatrick was playing great, as we remember last, last season, two seasons ago, and then we've got uh, Tua just gets thrust in there. He wasn't ready to play. He wasn't ready to play because he couldn't read the schemes. He couldn't handle the blitz packages. And, of course, you know the injury you know, to him that he had in college. So, I mean, all of this stuff plays into play here where these guys still continue to throw these guys you know, in there way too soon. Oh, I, I completely agree. It's like, you know, like for Jacksonville, I mean, what's your darn hurry? You've been a right. terrible organization for several years. You know, it doesn't matter if you start Garden, Gardner Minshew or Trevor Lawrence in week one, week two, week three, you're going to lose. 
And so why have Trevor Lawrence out there getting his butt kicked? Some of those hits he took the other night, I don't know if you guys got to see the game, but some of those hits he took the other night were harder than any hit he ever took in college. I mean, you know, going up against Alabama, I don't care who you went up against, you weren't taking hits like that, and he looked small. You know, that's the crazy thing also. Trevor Lawrence looks small out there. Now, Gardner Minshew, I agree with you guys. I would start him. They, they're lucky they're starting against, or they're playing against Houston in week one. That might be the worst team in football, but that doesn't mean Jacksonville goes in and wins against the Texans. I would start Minshew because right now, you know, only because of experience at this level, I do rate Minshew ahead of Trevor Lawrence at this point. And it's not a situation where Trevor Lawrence is going to get you from 2-15 and 15 to 9-8 and eight and competing for a playoff uh, appearance this year. So why do you want to get this guy, get the crap kicked out of him, potentially injured, potentially damage him between the years, which could last for a couple of years to come, when you're not going to get anything worse by having Gardner Minshew in there? It's, it's almost stubborn of some owners who are like, hey, I'm paying him, get him out there and play him. You know, well, great. If you're looking at this big picture, Trevor Lawrence sits his butt down, Fields sits his butt down, and they watch the game and how it operates behind a quarterback who's been playing for a while, whether that quarterback has had success or not. All right, Scott Spritzer joins us. Scott, you're tuned in in Nebraska. We know it, man, and uh, they're traveling to Illinois. Actually, probably the marquee game on a short docket on Saturday. Uh, Brett Bielema now coaching in Illinois. That's kind of ironic, a little Nebraska ties and everything, but Scott Frost on the hot seat. How do you uh, see this game as we see that uh, the, the Cornhuskers what a touchdown favorite on the road? Yeah, they uh, dropped as low as six and a half in a lot of places today, and then I would say within an hour after it dropping to six and a half at about half the books, I got about 25 books on my screen. I would say at least 10 of them dropped to six and a half, and now they're almost all back up to seven, uh, which kind of tells you something. Listen, first of all, here's the thing. When you talk about this line, if you're totally into what you think is line value, this line opened 11 and a half earlier this summer. It's now a couple of books still six and a half. So it dropped all the way down to six and a half from 11 and a half earlier this summer. Um, the off-field situation last week with Nebraska that's been talked about, uh, the athletic director quitting, surprising some in June, and now Trev Alberts comes in to take over as AD. There's a lot of that kind of talk. Here's the thing that nobody mentions, and again, this is a game that most people are going to want to pass. The thing that nobody mentions is that they've got veteran, a veteran at center. And, and instead of learning the job the last couple of years and switching from tight end to center and quarterback center exchange was absolutely horrible for two seasons throwing off this timing offense i mean adrian martinez was jumping three feet in the air half the time trying to grab the snap from center in that you know so-called shotgun uh, position so now they've got a center who's been around for three years he's had a much better spring a much better summer and i'm telling you right now that that was 30 percent of their offensive problems They've also got a situation where they're playing an Illinois team that beat them 41-23 last year, and I had talked about on a couple of shows, that was not only a decade low for Nebraska, that might have been a 60-year low for Nebraska. 41-23 loss to the Illini. They beat themselves. They had a minus-5 turnover ratio. So listen, do I trust Nebraska a lot? I do at 6.5. Brett Bielema's got to take a lot of guys who are back from last year, which is good for Illinois, and all of a sudden employ these new systems that he's throwing at them and this, of course, is their first game. Frost, Mike Riley recruits are basically gone for the most part now. It's finally his team. This is his most talented team. Having said that, if Illinois loses in this football game, they still recover and move on. they got a brand-new coach. 
if Nebraska loses this football game, I don't know that the players buy into Frost anymore this season. And with a new AD coming to town and with a little problem off the field, you know, it might not be that hard or difficult to get rid of Frost at the end of this season. If they lose to Illinois, I, I, there's just no way they make a bowl game and go 6-6. Six and six. Yeah, no, I, I agree with uh, what you're saying. And you've got to look at continuity. And even though both teams have struggled, you've got to go with Nebraska. And I'm not saying you lay the 6.5. But, again, backs against the wall, feeling the heat. I think they're the more talented team, the more athletic team. And you're right, it is tough for a, a new coach to come in, especially under these COVID conditions and everything that's happening here, to instill a, uh, instill a new system, still learning his players and everything, limited practice time. If there's a spot for Nebraska, this could be it. And then again, and Scott, DC, yeah. yeah, and I'll tell you real quickly, if you want to look at it from how we watch lines move and who's moving them, you know, 90% of the bets of the tickets have come in on Illinois. Yeah, 85 I... to 90%. And that line did drop to 6.5, but guess what? As soon as it did, boom, it's hit right. by wise action. It goes right back to 7 and so that's just something to think about also. Well, some of those people are, you know, they're making those bets in Illinois still think Lovey Smith is the coach there too. That's true so, probably, or maybe Butkus is a linebacker. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If Lovey Smith was still the coach, I might uh, shy away from them a little bit more. Uh, he did not work out well down there. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Transition that first year. It's tough. Scott, we appreciate it as always, my friend. Uh, We look forward to talking with you, of course, a lot during the course of the season. Uh, He's at Doc Sports. Go check out his picks, DocSports.com. Scott Spritzer. He's got all the sports covered. Uh, Great stuff, brother. Appreciate you. Go Big Red. Take care, guys. There you go. I'll I'll wear my red and white on Saturday. That's the only game in town, really. There you go. I'll I'll sport it. Take care, man. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. And you know I love my corn on the cob anyway, so there you go. I All used right. to have a couple of Illinois shirts or something like that back in the yeah. day. So yeah. yeah, people that I knew that would go down there would you know, bring did. me a shirt at the time yeah. or whatever. So I, I went online. I saw a tick, good seats are still available for that game in Champaign. I'm sure there are. Yeah, yeah. You can get tickets under fifty bucks for that game. Pretty good seats. It, 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 you could walk through the campus <laughs> and just pick them up from somebody out there. It's one of the few places that I remember going back years ago mm. when the scalpers were always selling tickets for under face value, and it wasn't much of a face <laughs> value back then, anyhow. All right, appreciate Scott joining us. Trevor Maddich, the wizard, the maestro, the guru. Appreciate him. And again, tomorrow, you're tuning in. You're going to hear some music. You're going to hear some some jams. You're going to hear some classic rock. You're going to hear some eclectic stuff because we're going music for two hours tomorrow. Our show tomorrow, the T.C. Martin Show, Song Fest. Our guests are chiming in with their favorite songs, uh, songs that have meaning to them, songs that have meaning for myself and Frank tomorrow. It's music. We're putting it in the sports tie tomorrow, so we look forward to that. So join us tomorrow at 2 o'clock for our song fest. Looking forward to it. Going to be fun. All right. And, uh, yeah, just uh, for you guys to tune in and listen to what these guys like to listen to. Numchuck's looking forward to it being over. Yeah. (laughs) See you tomorrow at 2.